You're listening to Bedroom Beethoven's, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies documenting growth through their 10,000-hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. I am a bedroom Beethoven. <laughs> Greetings, people of Earth. Welcome to episode 137 of the podcast. Damn, Asher, the fuck you been at, man? Like, you just came out, started growing your hair all along, stopped wearing shoes, and left everybody hanging, huh? You're listening to the Greenhouse Effect. My guest this week is... My name is Asher Roth. I've done everything from uh, works with my buddy Justin Bieber to uh, my buddy Fat Tony, so, and a little bit in between. So, uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Major episode for me is Asher Roth, who I've been a day one fan of, swings by the show to account his 10,000 hour journey through the I Love College days, through his various projects, business interactions, and various moves around the country that all leads up to his current community work, his relationships within music, and thanks to his Discord, his new body of work. The Greenhouse Effect Volume 3 serves as the third installment in his fan-favorite mixtape series, and in the eight years since the release of The Greenhouse Effect Volume 2, it turns out that Asher Roth has graduated from being a student and embraced his new role as a college horticulture professor. So if you haven't already, when you're done with this episode, the project is available now, so hit play and think of this as a companion piece to that and learn more about Asher in the process. But before we get to that really, really, really quick, please support the show by visiting patreon.com slash bedroombeethovens and consider being a Patreon. For as little two bucks, you can get access to shows early and you can feel good about supporting a little guy in his dark room recording these conversations that hopefully you enjoy. Bedroombeethovens.com is the website and you can catch me over there posting episodes and you can buy merch and hear clips on the YouTube page, all kinds of good stuff. So please subscribe and tell a friend about the show and as i keep growing i'll keep chugging out content so thank you for being here and uh asher roth ladies and gentlemen let's start the show Uh, last night I was watching an old interview of yours from like 13 years ago or some shit. And the interviewer was like, who is your celebrity crush? And you mm. said, Irina Shike, I think. Okay. Okay. That's and what I, was up the time. Yeah. And I was like, who is that? So I Googled her and it's the first girl that Kanye hooked up with after splitting from Kim Kardashian. And I was wow. like, man, I wish I was a celebrity, man. Yeah. And but yeah, then, but sure. then again, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> In other scenarios, I've definitely said things like, uh, Kate Winslet, she's she's sometimes a celebrity crush, but the celebrity crush is an interesting interesting one. I remember, um, you know, Arena is also a, a Ryan Leslie girl, 
he wrote a song about her. If you if you're a Ryan Leslie fan at all, there's a song called I R I N A that you can always listen to if you really want to get the insight into celebrity relationships. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, there's definitely a rabbit hole with that. And then also, I I, <laughs> I, I also wanted to owe you an apology because I felt I, I want to be honest. I felt like an asshole because just by happenstance we set up this interview on your birthday and I didn't know it at the time. And there was a million other things that you could have been doing other than dealing with me. And I didn't know that. So happy belated birthday. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. And second, I'm, I'm sitting around thinking about, you know, who I would like on my podcast. And I was like, man, who am I a massive fan on, but I haven't heard from in a while. And I felt so proud of myself. I was like, you know what? Asha Roth would be perfect. And then you were on drink champs. And I was like, son of a bitch, he will never do my podcast now, but here you are. <laughs> And I appreciate it. One would say this one's more important, you know? Hey, hey, well, I'll go with that. <laughs> and uh, I purposely didn't listen to it because I didn't want to accidentally ask you or or cover anything that they already did. But I heard someone cried. I heard Blue cried. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, we've all had our moments. But, you know, what's funny about Drink Champs is like sometimes you just got to get like really drunk and tell people in your life that they're important, you know, and I mean something. And so. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. You know, obviously, uh, Mickey and uh, Blue were putting out a project, The Narrative, which recently dropped, and I was a part of. And so there was a whole kind of, uh, you know, plan involved, I guess, in retrospect of just like kind of getting freshman, the freshman XXL from 09 together and talking about it. And so uh, we didn't get to like talk about stuff in depth as much as I like to talk about stuff in depth, but we did give a chance, get a chance to let blue know that he's extremely appreciated in our, in our world. And so I don't remember tears, but I do remember being extremely, uh, you know, off one for sure. Just taking shots of whiskey with Noriega and, you know, one of those things that sometimes you just got to get drunk and tell your boys that you love them, you know? Well, this conversation is going to be so good. I'm going to make you cry. I'm going for broke here. <laughs> Let's do it, man. I, I, you know, and you mentioned the XXL freshman. I'm glad you're still making music with them. And, you, you know, I, me personally, I was trying to build a rapport with Charles Hamilton. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been on the show twice. I've always felt like I was respectful to him, but I talked to him on Memorial Day and, and you can hear it. The conversation didn't go well. And then three days later, he got arrested on assault charges and he's, he's still in jail right now. But oh, currency, no, currency, yeah, and, and you know, it, it might just be mental health, but you know, currency is doing fantastic. Blue, all you guys, for the most part, uh, your 2009 rise was so meteoric. It was, it was just crazy. You know, your debut in the Billboard Top Five, you had a monster single, and then when you get back from your tour, they were probably like, "Where's I Love College 2? Let's get a remix with Flowrider and Soldier Boy. Let's capitalize on this." I'm sure it was maddening at the time. Yeah, I mean, again, everyone kind of has a different strategy on how to build a career, right? And I think that there's one way, there's a few ways to do it, of course. And I think that the one way that was being explored was continuing a relevance through mainstream pop hits. And at the time, just what I was experiencing and where I was in my life, you know, coming off of the great hangover, and then the conversations that were being had and the other players that, you know, got involved. I mean, you know, um, for those who might not know what they're talking about, this was a time where Scooter Braun was establishing himself, you know, as a player in the game, so to speak. And at the same time, you know, Justin Bieber's career is beginning to launch. And so a lot of the focus had shifted to establishing that as a, a more clear career path. I mean, Justin, so ridiculously talented. And as far as pop music goes, 
there are a million and one reasons on why to focus on that. Where I was a little bit more of a uh, a case study, so to speak. I mean, to your point about the time of uh, the release of the XXL freshman of 09, the timing of that, we were half in the old school of CDs and all of that. And then half of our bodies were complete new school internet kids really breaking on the internet for the first time. And so with all of that in consideration, and then just what was happening from a record label standpoint with Steve Rifkin and all the stuff that I had known as structurally old school record business, it just didn't feel sustainable. So, you know, my first move in New York was back to the basics, white t-shirt and some motherfucking Asics and put together like seared foie gras with Quince and Cranberry and really just tried to introduce myself in a way that wasn't necessarily always through how, what's the most popular song that we could make? Because at the end of the day, I Love College was an accident. It was a very happy accident, as Bob Ross would say. It wasn't some grandiose marketing scheme plan. It was just a journal entry of moving to Atlanta, having come from Westchester University, kind of small town Pennsylvania, and talking about missing that a little bit uh, right around the time we were supposed to be going to Mardi Gras and just being 20 year old kids. But, you know, it's been it's a great starting point for me, I think, and, and a great conversation as far as a lot of people heard that record. So it's a good starting point to let people know. Do you remember where you were when Isla College came out? Yeah, cool. Sure. What about it? And like, that's kind of where we are now. And also speaking of happy accidents, because of some weird merger between Scooter and the BTS label, you got you got like a hundred grand the other, like a couple months ago, you and Carly, Carly Ray Jepsen. Uh, sure. Got, yeah. We got a little, you know, we got Korean stock. We'll see what happens and it turns into, and you know, um, it, it's a thank you for kind of the work that we put in as far as establishing the road. And you know, it's a, it's a, it's a thank you for sure. And now Scooter, he graduated, you know, if we can talk about him a little bit, he graduated from university and then he discovered you, you dropped out of university when you do that, does anyone in the industry discourage you from dropping out to school to pursue music? Because your dad graduated from Stanford. Your sisters are in education. You were going to go to school for education. Was there any blowback to that? To be fair, Scooter's a dropout as well. But with that being said, no, because the scope of education was changing drastically. And even my sister being uh, an ed- basically an education lifer, I remember telling her I wanted to go back to school and these are things because teaching uh, and elementary education and just uh, youth education and all that is still a, a passion of mine for what it's worth. Uh, she told me, hey, you can't, you got to keep going. And, you know, when I asked her kind of why, what do you, what's your thoughts on this? And she was like, well, see, I get to talk to 30,000. I, I get to talk to 30 people a day and maybe help 30 people a day. You have the opportunity to talk to 30,000. And that really resonated with me as far as like an audience and as far as the responsibility for the words that you choose to speak and all of those things. And, uh, and so, you know, caring for that audience and, and uh, you know, caring about the work that I do outside of just trying to have it be something that financially supports me has always kind of taken precedent on this journey. Yeah. And at the time, you know, you had to be at a specific place and, you know, the, the move back to Philly was so you could be close to the family that I just mentioned. And the, 
the things that matter to you. You know, in a large part, you can do that because you no longer need to be in LA or Atlanta or New York. You know, if Dave Chappelle can live in a farm in Ohio and be a bigger comedian than he ever was, I guess location nowadays is all relative. You got it. I mean, it's it's true and it's not true. I mean, at the same respect, like so much happens in Los Angeles and so much happens in Atlanta. It's nice to have that proximity. But for me, I, you know, where I am in my career and kind of just doing what I'm doing, I'm definitely a little bit of an outsider outside looking in for what it's worth, you know, because I'm not part of a major label system. I'm not like helping these people get paid and not oiling the, the machine with everybody else. Good and bad. You know, sometimes you want that look, you know, sometimes you want to be able like, you know, just to have the cast the widest net possible, but uh, just fairly, you know, dedicated to the independent route and Philadelphia gives me such a good perspective of where I am. I'm not too close to the scene. So it allows me to uh, see the game in, in a way. I mean, cause it is ultimately, it's just kind of, you're just, it's just a chessboard at the end of the day. Yeah. And I know your mom's big in, in astrology, uh, mm-hmm. but let me tell you, you know, little Uzi Vert, little B, little pump, mm-hmm. young mm-hmm. thug, soldier boy, chief Keith, they're all Leos. And it makes sense when wow. you kind of say all their names in a row like that, because Leos love the spotlight and they're natural <laughs> entertainers. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and I'm, I've Capricorn rising. So it's like, you know, what I show to people is actually a little bit, a little bit different. And so uh, from a Leo standpoint, though, man, yeah, you want people to like you, you know, you want people to dig what you're up to. And so, um, you know, trying to quell the ego every now and then just to get the work done is, is important to me. Yeah, I mean, you got to be an extrovert if you're, uh, you know, you and you and Brian Sellers are selling CDs for five dollars a pop in high school, but you you're, it, you're, you're, you're trying to sell hip hop at like a, a Yardley Harvest Day. I can't believe there's a there's a baked in hip hop crowd in that. So you got to hustle. <laughs> yeah, you do. And it, it's, uh, you know, that's really, again, part of this, the journey and the story. And, you know, I have a lot of love for Brian Sellers as, as being part of that. And again, when you're going through it with somebody else and you kind of have a partner, I know that it's hard, obviously, to break up all the time and stuff like that, but it is it is nice to have somebody to go through. And I think having a solo career, specifically myself. Even though I didn't finish, I need my balls tossed like I'm at the line of scrimmage. Blue 52 said, hike on you hoes, eating everything in sight like a dyke on you hoes. You know, Asher Roth being my birth name, you know, there's a certain care and, and, and uh, not loneliness per se, but yeah, I mean, you got to yourself first and foremost so you can so you can perform because it is it's an exhausting business i guess for a lack of better words and the world kind of projects stuff onto you and expects certain things not necessarily but you know yes or you might you might have your own projections and your own expectations and so there's a lot going on when you're working in performance and you're working in you know entertainment so i just try to be try to think about it but also not think about it it seems you're very self-aware because like when you when you get that phone call from Scooter, like, hey, I'm going to, I don't know, it almost seems fake because it's like, hey, come down to Atlanta and mm-hmm. I'm going to make you a star. I'm mm-hmm. going to get you in front of the dream. Mm-hmm. I own a nightclub. We'll talk business moves in the VIP. I mean, thank sure. God it panned out. But from the way he was talking, like, hey, this is going to be the most important phone call of your life. Did you think for a minute, like, this is this must be full of shit? Of course. I mean, we, we thought we were in trouble because we were throwing ragers at the house and we thought, you know, unpaid noise violations and stuff like that. So really, we kind of we're a little spooked about it, but you know, ultimately for those who know Scooter, I mean, that's his game, man. He's like, and having bulldogs like that on your team, having cheerleaders have people that kind of big up and like kind of uh, exaggerate, you know, a lot of the game is that uh, so much of the promotional side of things is exaggeration and grandiose expectations and all these things. And so 
you know, yes, a Leo, but at the same respects, I'm more, I play more of this, the side of things that's like, let's under promise and over deliver. Uh, unfortunately in this, this day and age in the game with the internet and controversy, controversial and, and controversy, it's, uh, you know, it might be a better way to play the game than just, maybe it's just a better way to play the game. Just say anything, talk your shit. But for me, I still, you know, as I get older, I just want to be someone who's kind of honest with myself and honest with my audience. Yeah. And I know the the dream at the, at the time he, he was, he was pretty big. And, but the thing is, is like, he has nine kids, so he needs a hit or child Dude. support is going to destroy that man. But one of, the, one of the greatest songwriters of our generation though, man, he's got, the dream is extremely talented. He, he, uh, him and tricky store, but, and they were very welcoming to me and loving when I came down to Atlanta, it was just kind of like making my initial rounds and Atlanta in general is such a, like a, from my expectation from my experience rather was a very welcoming loving place have some fun and i think on specifically on those early recordings the greenhouse effect and you know jazzy Faye being on bad day all that stuff is just hanging around and being in atlanta and that's kind of what i mean about proximity i don't know if those things happen if i was in philly the whole time and and being here now obviously with family and just like having time to think about my, what I want to do and where I want to take this now that, you know, my life is, is much more real than when it was and things have fleshed itself out. Um, but in the same respect, it's not, I still feel like really young. I still feel inspired. I still feel like I haven't been in the game for 13 years. And when I look at it, 13 years, it's just like, that's it. Like we got another like 13, 20 to keep it moving. I remember the beginning of the social network when they moved in that college house. Mm-hmm. I, I, I envision that's what stand, the house on standard drive was like. And maybe that's yeah. why it's like so much of a blur. Similar, similar for sure. And, but just with rats, I'm not sure if the social network joined there, if they had rats or not, but you know, we had, we had big old boys. We were shooting horror films with those rats. That's the truth. Maybe I can find it. Oh my God. So, so you might be going down to a nightclub in Atlanta to, to talk moves, but you, but he wants you to start, I guess, humble like like what was that initial deal like you're i guess a jacob jeweler a free bentley is not a part of the initial contract <laughs> no no we're, we're you know we we're all making it up as we went along for sure but the, actually standard drive was was our stand i think it was standard drive yeah standard drive it was a good place it's just you know structurally and everything that was happening you know it's one of those things that they don't tell you we had a lot of fun there i mean the roth boys video was shot in that neighborhood and just like uh, i think it's possible that the greenhouse the greenhouse uh, graffiti that was done by greg mike is still down in that basement i've seen a picture of it not too long ago so hopefully that's still up but i mean great chapter one i like to break up my life like seasons you know it's like oh season four right or whatever but you know that was season one and just going out to atlanta i talk about this in um i think the, one of the recent tracks laryngitis and i talk about the importance of uprooting Laryngitis, fear of heights, and parent-teacher conferences Tell me your accomplices, tell me your accomplishments Rather drink sake with foxies Next to palm trees while the gods speak falsely Pay my tab in prayers and thoughts Believe what you can't see Swan confit, gotta eat when you're hungry Not to be, all these wants become daunting Some things just aren't belonging So when that gong rings and breaks you from your arming I hope there's no rain in your awning Cause darling, this world don't respect reciprocate karma's real but a little late and i talk about like you know burning stuff down in order to get new growth things like that nature and so but that initial uproot of leaving pennsylvania moving to atlanta you know bringing a couple friends for familiarity's sake 
so important. I mean, just breaking your rhythms, breaking your routines, moving. I think obviously not everybody has the the privilege or the luxury to be able to move, but if you do, um, for, you know, for hopefully good reasons and not just getting booted from where you are, uh, there's a lot of good can happen from, you know, breaking the norm. I, I hate to fixate so much on season one, as you say, but I, I, I wanted to read you a quote that Scooter said, and then you can kind of give me your thoughts. Uh, okay. he, he said that you messed up because your ambition never matched his. He wanted you to be Justin Bieber and you never wanted to be famous. And at the time that didn't compute for him. Do you think that's accurate? I, yeah. I mean, I just think we have different definitions of success is really all it is. And I think that showed its, showed its face in the conversations and, you know, it gets labeled as creative differences, but you know, I just thought, I just think and continue to think that we have different definitions of success. So I, I would, I would leave it there. I, I think that's the best way to put it. And yeah. I, I mentioned that you got um, 100K for the shares. Allison K got 5 million. Was she an ally of yours back then? Uh, I, I thought so. You know, I, I did. And she's, uh, she, again, blind ambition. People have things that they want to do. And a lot of my experience early on with that crew may, has made me who I am today about kind of honesty and transparency with my expectations and my ambitions and I try to use that with how I how I work in Sunflower Philly, because, uh, you know, I, I've experienced some stuff that just has me as a wounded, you know, um, a wounded uh, being. But I would never fault somebody for, you know, I, I say it again. It's like, don't hate the player, hate the game. And I think naturally the system that we operate in, people are just looking out for themselves at the end of the day. Is there because I, I know you're happier uh, with the career route you took being indie, you know, it's a lot more work, but I think it's a lot more fulfilling. Am I able to drill down and ask you for any specific scenarios or situations, maybe one that you can pull out of the hat that you can reflect on that made you come to that decision. So maybe if anyone's listening and they're at that same crossroad, maybe they can learn from, from that. Yeah. I just think it's also just to value yourself and value your magic and, and don't let people feel like your success is because of them. I think obviously any, wins and accomplishments are typically uh, a group oriented and there are a group of people that help things come to life. But, you know, especially when you're dealing in entertainment and whenever you're dealing in intellectual property and thoughts and ideas and things that you create from nothing, know what's happening with that. Because unfortunately in the business of music, a lot of times, and obviously there's a, there's prevalent conversation about it happening right now with masters and um, royalties and, you know, ownership over that intellectual property, a tale as old as time in the music business is the person that made it doesn't own it. They don't have no control over this stuff. And so a lot of the conversations that happened early on in, in my career were so fast. It was just glazing over the details of what's really actually happening because it's, it's, there's a, there is, a element of manipulation and an element of people wanting to get what they want out of the situation. And so they tell kind of half truths or speak, speak half truths. And I think the manager agent relationship with talent is always a, a extremely tricky one because they get paid when you get paid. Not always are they going to have your best interest in mind. For me, like it just got to a place where I, you know, it was pretty obvious that like a hundred times out of a hundred times, the person that was in control of my career, not looking out for actually me. And so as becoming a young adult, again, 
I, as a person, am uh, non-confrontational. I'm not somebody that likes to like jump into drama and jump into confrontation. But as you get older, you get comfortable with confrontation and uncomfortable conversations. So early on, a lot of kids that are getting into the game, they hire somebody else to be their, um, you know, be their protection or their their armor, and they have those confront those have, they have patients and they handle the business and all those things mainly because the artist doesn't want to, and it's kind of pitched as I do this so you can just concentrate on your art, but at the end of the day, that always ends up like manipulative and funky and weird, and and then the power relationships and all those things rest in the management and the agencies and all of these things rather than the artist and the person who's actually generating ideas and thoughts and 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 content or whatever you want to call it. And so yeah man, I mean in in my early experiences for me I realized that like I have had uh trust issues because I've been kind of like lied to in a way, you know? And so as I move forward in my adult life and my professional life is just try to be as transparent with my uh, ambition and as transparent with my expectations as possible. So that stems from the business side of music. And whenever you ask questions why or what for, or whenever you give a little bit of pushback because you think it might not be right for you, it became some self-sabotaging kind of conversation that I wasn't working hard enough or that I didn't want it bad enough. And I just think that's manipulative, you know, at the end of the day. And so that's why I'm so passionate about artist development and so much about like caring the artists and what are they going through? Because you've mentioned Charles Hamilton. We've talked about blue. We mentioned these, we, these artists and they're sensitive beings. I mean, we have to be sensitive to be able to create the way that we create and people should take care of those people. They should, they should protect them truly, not take advantage of them. And so it's hard to do because you see, it's just the nature of our beast, right? You see somebody vulnerable and you there are people in this world that take advantage of that situation. And those are the people that more often than not get ahead. I'm just trying to work with, within the realm of, you know, capitalism, within the realm of being financially secure and stable, but also keep some values and principles about how I go about it. Greenhouse Effect Volume 3 is a perfect example. I mean, like unconventional in regards to going to uh, the internet and having fans and and, uh, followers and during a pandemic and be like, yo, let's create something together. And then the fans and friends, they wanted to put it out. And I'm like, yo, just so you know, if we put this out on streaming, money is going to change hands, you know, so let's talk about that up front. And so many of those times, those awkward conversations that more often than not are about, you know, money get left untalked about until it's too late, turned into something else. And so, you know, I went to producers that I'd selected and I said, here's the deal. publishing splits. Here's what it's going to be. Here's how this is how it's going to work. I don't I'm an independent uh, artist and my record label is like two of us. So with that being said, I'm not typically interested in doing in accounting mechanical royalties to you for the rest of my life. So let's do a buyout. Let me explain to you what a buyout is. All of these things, those are conversations that I wasn't really allowed to be a part of early on. Someone else was having those conversations for me. And so with that being said, I just try to like educate artists. It's no different than people complaining about school. You know, why don't they teach us how to do our taxes in math class? Or why don't we learn like 
why don't we learn percentages through baseball, something I actually care about, or selling weed, et cetera. So pretty passionate about artist development, pretty passionate about artist information and knowledge because uh, it's empowering. And I think that people that get to be in power refrain from other people having that information. But the internet's a great equalizer. Dude, you are their dream guardian. Trying to be, but dude, it's vicious out here, man. It's vicious out here and we celebrate the wrong things. Um, and it's not, and when I look at everything, it's kind of like, damn, dude, like, I don't think that this is, we can ever, it's never going to not be this way. Like, this is just what it is. It's like, uh, it's survivor and you have to do some like really nasty things to get ahead. And it's easily justifiable for a lot of people to behave the way that they do. But, you know, for me, day by day, little by little, um, experience by experience, conversation by conversation, try to, um, you know, do right by not just me, you know, but do right by the person that I'm interacting with. And I, I do believe that a diplomatic approach to things, you know, not just like bombing a country out of the back because they don't agree with you. Uh, I think that there is, you know, power in language and communication and uh, diplomacy. And I don't know if we utilize that, um, you know, on a grand scale enough. Sometimes you just have to, you know, kill a motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, because from my armchair um, observations, the only thing I know about major labels are you, you need to serve the, the needs of the label. Like, you know, Justin Bieber would not have been able to go gospel in 2010. He he had to have gone, you know, diamond three times in order to take that risk. You, you can make whatever risk you want. You can kind of, you know, Snoop Lion wouldn't have been able to have done that unless doggy style went diamond. You know, like these, when they reinvent themselves, they always have to like fulfill a, a three album obligation to the label so you have that freedom to kind of do what you want and i call you the dream guardian because you're giving a big boost to these producers earlier in their careers and you're educating them and uh maybe it's someone that you wish you had when you started out so i think that's super awesome for sure bro. definitely somebody and like even sunflower philly similar a place where i just want like people to be able to have their first show and even make mistakes and mess up and whatever it may be but at least it sounds good like have a place where you know people can have something that i didn't have when i was coming up for sure and you're working with the vets too. I just wanted to say that uh, your album with Knots was great. I, I talked to Knots, who has an AOL email address, might Legend. I add. Uh, he hasn't done an interview since 1997. And I talked to him. He says, if I do your podcast, it'll be the first interview I've done in decades. And I got close, but he ghosted me at the very end. But I got close. That, He's so that, tricky, man. He's tricky, tricky to tie down. But that's like something <laughs> that's honestly uh, probably endearing about him too. Oh, he's the man. He's the man. And, and it's kind of weird because I bet, you know, I, I bet DJ Premier has like a Hotmail account. I don't know. Like these these OGs are funny with that. So for sure. Um, so, yeah, let's let's what else can we talk about? The Greenhouse Effect Volume 3. The floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, outside of just its uniqueness, I mean, it taught me so much about collaboration. It taught me so much about like togetherness and patience, but consistency. I mean, we did, you know, every Wednesday we had an acapella and then every Sunday, people would kind of put their submissions into, into the production channel. And those that kind of structure for the producers as well, and not just myself, was really helpful for them. And I, I've learned that with other a, a couple other people I've spoken with is like they love being kind of told what to do or having did deadlines or having this kind of structure. And so putting that around the creative process, this was kind of the first time for me, um, was really helpful and extremely productive. And so... I know that, you know, creativity doesn't necessarily turn off and on like that. And again, it's not one size fits all. 
Um, and that's just the truth. It's the same way that I feel about diets and all of these things that become mainstream. Here's how you should live your life. Uh, truth is everyone's a little bit different, but the kind of, not everybody had their best week every week, of course, but people got better. People got in like a uh, root, like a nice routine as far as their creative process and, and started to find a sound. Uh, even one of the, one of the crews that were part of the, 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 the tape short bus 13, they were able to put out their own uh, tape after everything from some of the submissions that didn't get used. So just a productive use of time efficient for sure. And so greenhouse for me, when I look at it now, one, it's like this cool story and, and kind of homage back to the college again, season one and tying that together. And, and instead of like, you know, I think for a lot of time, because it was such a, it wasn't a bad experience or a good, like, or a great experience. It was neither. It was, it was an experience. And so like, I spent some time trying to get away from it because of these perceived notions of who I was as a person and, and all, sonically these things I wanted to explore. So like, but it was really hard. I mean, like they talk about the importance of first impressions, but greenhouse to me is a great space to be in because it's like moves things forward. There's kind of just the literal sense of like student to professor, um, but also just like, you know, incorporating the relationship with nature, some of these themes that it's just not about me. And I think that that's what I was always so uncomfortable about in my heart of hearts was this idea of celebrityism and that, that everything is about me. And I've always tried to get away from writing songs uh, about me. And I've always admired other people that could write about a chair or a bus and, you know, these, these things. And so you start to see it in Retrohash a little bit, the album Retrohash, when I'm writing songs like Fast Life, I'm starting to talk about other people's experiences. And that was important to me. Someone's always caught up in a fast life. Someone's always caught up in a fast life. Someone's always caught up in a fast life. Fast life. Someone's always caught in a fast life. And then, you know, continuing on that trend, but then also, you know, the whole LCD sound system, shut up and play the hits mantra, you know, is that in the same respect, something that goes through my brain of just like, you also have to give the people what they want. And some of them just want like the Lark my go-kart bars all day, every day. And so that's why Knotts is an important player in my, in my play, because he loves to just like go to the gym basically, and just like get his reps in. And I, I talk about that a lot. And so I brought that, uh, you know, structure to use while, while using Discord and some of these other kids who weren't necessarily privy to uh, pr a professional gathering of songs and uh, a presentation. I mean, we did, we created, we had no idea. I had no idea what I was doing with Discord, except that I wanted to create Greenhouse Effect Volume 3. And everybody that was involved in that was part of making this what it is and so you know a lot of the times on social media you're hearing me saying this project is much theirs as it is mine and that's true because the characters that played a role they wrote their own rhymes all i did was give them a theme and a character and be like yo cody you're gonna be this like snitch kid who like breaks in and you're gonna get with charlie etc and you know 
without belaboring continue on and, and talking too much, but uh, Discord specifically and just communication in the internet era had allowed us to all kind of get familiar with one each other, understand each other's personalities for even though in an analog fashion and do things like assign roles and what ended up being just one big social studies project. So I'm excited for everybody to listen to Greenhouse Effect Volume 3 just because conceptually it's just such an interesting, unique uh, work. I kind of describe it as a PG-13 movie starring Steve Zahn. Like I always kind of mention like, yo, cool, Robert Downey Jr. does his off-Broadway stuff and then he also does Iron Man. And like, I want to be able to do stuff like that. You know, I don't want uh, a popular um, record to be ugly on me. I want people to, if, if we do do something that happens to be accessible, I want people to be like, yo, this is, this is great. This works perfectly, man. And then I also want to be able to go do some indie off Broadway shit. That's just like, this is so weird, but this is super cool. No one's going to hear this, but it's fire. But that's where I'm at, man. I mean, mentally, you know, I learned so much. I have a lot of love, you know, for Scooter and Allison for what it's worth. I mean, you know, they are definitely players in my life. Do I think, do I, did I wish that things would have been a little bit different in regards to our relationships as like people? Certainly. Um, but they taught me a bunch about myself. They taught me a bunch about the business. Um, and now it's allowed me to have what I think is a very sound foundation, which I've always looked for. You know, I had my own little guilt about things when I asleep in the bread aisle and I of college took off. I felt like I hadn't done the foundational work. And so Seared Foie Gras, Paps and Jazz being a free album before there was really free albums. Like it even got described as a mixtape because people were like, what, what are free albums? Roth and Rother, all these things that like, we're just here, take this. Greenhouse Effect Volume 2, it was just building a foundation, a genuine foundation that I can stand on instead of like, hey, if you don't have a song on the radio, you don't have a career anymore. And so it's been such a cool experience for 12 years, like literally brick by bricking it day by day one fan at a time losing fans that are just not interested i remember you know xxl writing up you know talk about someone who bigs you up first and then the next thing i put out retro ash i'll be at five years later or whatever but they go no one's interested in and in, in this You're like dude's a cool song but no one's interested in the reinvention of and you know that's when i realized it's like dude you're on your own baby like let's go and so I've always kind of felt that way. I still kind of feel that way, but Discord and Greenhouse Effect Volume 3 has let me know that like I'm not on my own and I have a lot of support and there are people who um, that my words really resonate with and I just try to hang there, you know? A lot to unpack. There's two things I want to say is like, so if you've, if the last decade you've been laying a foundation, I want to direct people to retrohash.com. You repressed all the vinyl, Paps and Jazz, Retrohash, the new project. Um, and... You got to have patience because it's not going to get to you until May 2022, but it's worth it. Yeah, it's, it's worth true, it. Man. <laughs> it's where I'm a vinyl head. So it's worth it. And I'm still on the hunt for that retro hash. I think it's the gold vinyl, which has been out. Yep. of. Yep. I'm going to get that one day. And um, I, I, I did want to say is like, you know, before I, before I did this interview, I, I told my wife, I was like, Hey, you know, Asher Roth is going to come on the podcast. And she's like, who's that? And I played her. I love college. And she's like, oh, yeah. Wow. Didn't that come out like 20 years ago? So like my wife doesn't listen to hip hop at all. She listens to what the industry machine tells her to, you know, top 40 stuff. But that kind of gives you an idea on how monster that song was. But it's also sad that, you know, that's kind of how the casuals remember how people left off remembering you. And it's hard sure. for you to get that outer audience. So the conversation we just had 
I, I appreciate your growth. I appreciate your convictions and the avenues that you're taking in your mid thirties to ensure that you have a good legacy, which is making music the way you want it to be done, which is why I feel like I'm catching you at a really great time in your life. And some of the producers on greenhouse effect three, they're relatively unknown. You're giving them a big platform. You're educating them. You're giving them a big boost. I just want to say, I'm excited about the project. I'm excited about your future music. And I really do hope the second half of your thirties treats you well. That's love, man. And I, I really think it will. And I appreciate obviously your support, obviously some of the gems that you dropped in here just knows, you know, again, it, it solidifies you've been listening, and you understand what's been going on, whether that's just good research, or you, you know, truly are kind of, you know, what's happening. Um, I'm excited for it, bro. And I really help. I really appreciate you helping me tell the story because, you know, it's uh, to me, it's a cool one, bro. And that's why I look at it like seasons, season one, season two, season three, season four. Um, it's been a really fun journey and i really truly think it's just beginning all right yeah i mean hey keep coming back until the series finale you got it bud. <laughs>